Welcome back to Movie Trailers Podcast. Your host Chris here with Ro, and we are here to review the latest from Martin Scorsese, Killer to the Flower Moon, when oil is discovered in the 1920s Oklahoma under the Osage Nation land. Uh, the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. Is it really a mystery? It's called white people. <laughs> I mean, uh, on its face, no, it is not a mystery. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, oh wow! What happened to all these native people that were living here I'm on this sh- land that are now filled with all these white people that are getting rich off of their land? I wonder what happened here. Hmm. Right, and that's not the movie that he made. I know. I know. Why, why, I know. Uh, no, 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 no. That's the movie that I went into it thinking he was making because. The book it's based off of, the subtitle of that book is The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI. So it's a nonfiction book where someone uses the Osage Indian murders in its investigation to drive the story about talking about the establishment of the FBI and J. Edgar Hulu and all that stuff. So they took an entirely indigenous narrative and truly made it about white people. And I thought that's what Martin Scorsese was going to do. I thought he was about to give us a Birth of the FBI movie. And that is not the movie he made. And I was shocked. Poor one for the old white guy. No, 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 no. We're not going to give him that much credit. Because <laughs> I think that's the movie he started trying to make and realized he couldn't. <laughs> I'm not, look, I, I got a love-hate relationship with Marty. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from him in, in the sense that I think in, in, a, in a broad spectrum understanding of cinema, he is why we get such well-done crime drama. Not just gangster movies, crime drama. I, I think that he is, has an epic understanding of revisionist history. And I think it's why we get such good, compelling gangster movies from him. Even when they're supposed to be based on a true story like Goodfellas, you get a movie that's so much bigger than that to the point to where Italian restaurants want to deny him service because they're angry. But I do not believe that Martin Scorsese really understands the movie he made with Killers of the Flower Moon, and it may be the best thing that made this movie work. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Like, he shifts the narrative. So again, first, it's not just about, it's not the investigation. It's not the FBI story. But he also changes the lead perspective because originally, the story is coming in and it kind of more follows Robert De Niro's character who he's playing. And that's the perspective in the book. And that's really interesting. If you're trying to figure out, you know, how the world and the quote unquote West was one, it's not very fucking interesting TV and Scorsese and his writing partner. Cause I don't care what anyone says. I don't believe that he got to this understanding himself. I believe Eric Roth, who y'all might know from like the curious case of Benjamin Button, a star is born in Dune. So, you know, he knows how to do an epic. You also know that he's real good at revisionist adaptations of written materials. Sometimes too good. Um, this story is about a group of people who come and live near and in the towns that are now affluent as a result of the Osage Indians discovering oil on their land in the early 1920s. 
and if you don't know anything about the history of this, this is one of the people, this is one of the, the tribes, and they say people because it's multiple different tribes that fall under Osage, um, who were all marched to Oklahoma, and they were left on land that was supposed to be almost inhospitable. And just as it turns around, it, they find oil. And the leadership of the Osage people was smart enough and savvy enough to retain the kind of hold on their oil deposit, right, that you had to go through them for these white companies to be able to set up on their land and get the oil out of the ground. So they actually ended up having money. Um, it's smart. It's engaging. It's you're going to feel some type of way, especially if you are a non-white person watching this movie. And if you have any understanding of the parts of American history that aren't typically featured, or if you have had a heavily driven American history lesson about the West that somehow always depicts native peoples as the bad guy, you're going to feel some type of way about this movie. If you are on the other side of that, you are also going to feel some type of way about this movie. But what you're not going to be is bored. Um, I think this might be, I don't know if it's fair to say this, but do you like Leonardo DiCaprio, Chris? As an actor or a person? As an actor. The man dates, like, he's that's got what, a show that's life. Why, that's why what I have, that's why, that's real. why I had to ask the question. As an actor, he's fantastic. As a human being, he doesn't date anyone over twenty-five, so that's a problem Which with that. There's crazy. a, there's a, there's a. I have a huge problem with men who can't date anyone over the age of like twenty-five. And he's what, like fifty now? Like how old is he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a fucking problem. No. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So it's like, hey, 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 hey. Well, I watch him in a fucking movie. Hell yeah. Well, uh, do I want to? Uh, would I ever want to be like out in public with him or going somewhere with him? No, because I feel like there's just like. If that's the kind of guy that you're hanging out with, and next thing you know, you're gonna catch a charge or something. You're gonna you're gonna catch a charge because you're just like, hey, 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 did you check their IDs? Like, what are you doing, dude? What's what's going on? So I was like, if, if it's your party and you know everybody who's there, he can come, but he can't bring nobody. Exactly. Right. All right. Because it's gonna be like next thing you know, next thing you okay, know, next you know, I'm yeah. charged with giving alcohol to a minor because I didn't know. I'm like, she came with she came with Leo. I thought she was fine. And then then they're gonna go, but you know how he is, and you're like, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. So. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, no. as an actor, I like him. Yeah. <laughs> All okay. I have to say, as an so, actor, he's great. I feel like 80-year-old Martin Scorsese has found this ability to take all of the different things that he's brought together in putting together all these crime drama movies. And it's, it's, he's been very clear that Killers of the Flower Moon has been something that's close to his heart. And um, the relationship that he has with Robert De Niro is is it i mean it should be set in amber it should be studied robert de niro is reprehensibly charismatic in this movie he he represents this movie isn't just about the group of white people who seek to infiltrate uh an osage family in order to get their hands on their wealth it's about this entire idea that these white people saw the Osage people come into wealth that they felt was theirs. And they were angry, even though it was their fault, the Osage people were there to strike it rich in the first place. 
they had sought to, you know, so they've got these people who've come into this area, some who've lived for a long time and others who are infiltrating the area because there's work that can be done here because, you know, the Osage can build homes. They own great swaths of land. They, they have the modern conveniences of life. The only place that looks even remotely close to Osage is a town that was known as Black Wall Street just in case anybody's wondering about the time period we're talking about here, in Tulsa. And so there's this whole idea that they've stolen something from white people feel as though, well, I've worked for my money and look at this. And he, he takes that feeling and he twists it into this impressively weighty, Non yet again, non-allegorical examination of the evil men will do in the light of day in plain sight. And it you'll see elements of stuff that he did and kind of weaving back and forth with the story and foreshadowing and flashbacks that's from the departed. But a lot of it is kind of like that really thin kinetic building tension that I don't think I've seen in the movie here since maybe. Main Street. But the rest of it is something I've never seen from him before. There's there's beautifully well-developed women characters who ain't on some bullshit. There's a loving respect for the time period and the locations. He listened to the Osage consultants who were brought in this movie. And there is a blatant honesty that you are watching a murder conspiracy as it unfolds. You are watching it through the character of someone who only half understands what the hell he's involved in, but keeps moving forward. But the other half of his understanding is, I got a right. I got a right to have. And if you have what I want, I got a right to take it. And he doesn't even really think about it. And there's very plain language speaking about the fact that an Indian life didn't have any value to people. And that they were conceived and seen as a hindrance. It's very reflective. It's very thoughtful. But it's also extremely engaging. And I was surprised. Lily Gladstone, who plays the lead female character in this story, is brilliant. If she's not on your radar, if you haven't been watching her in her smaller roles, you will not forget who Lily Gladstone is uh, after this. Uh, I, I watched another movie that she was in during Sundance Film Festival called Fancy Dance. It's a completely different uh, like perspective on what she brings to a character, but she is very quiet. She's very understated. She's very serious, but she's also extremely compelling and charismatic. And everything that you learn about her community and the Osage people and their relationship and the touchstones and intersections with whiteness that aren't necessarily violent, but are still so deeply a microcosm of bullshit. Like, some of this movie, I actually had to go back and look at things. Like, I didn't know what head rights were, and I found out later it's just a term of what they do about what happens with head of household, where you go when you inherit, what happens to your estate. Um, I didn't know some of the nuances that had to do with the, the, the Indian affairs 
Bureau and how they dealt with indigenous people. Like I've known like a lot of people that the only other people in modern history who've ever been accounted for and had a number outside of people who were in concentration camps or who were in internment camps, the first people were that and that where that idea derives from were native people were counted. They had numbers. We've given them to the American government. What I didn't know is that they use things like that to put encumbrances on how they were allowed to live their lives, that significant numbers of indigenous people for no reason other than the fact that they may have been sick or had a chronic disease could be declared incompetent and then they couldn't get access to their money or do anything and make any decisions unless they had a guardian. Like you could not go to the, I didn't know these things. And the way that they unfold in the movie is it's very thoughtful, but it's very matter of fact. It's the, it's driving dominant parts of the narrative so he's not trying to force you to look at this movie through a white perspective he's telling you what life was like and how it unfolded and developed in this town and he's built in this horrid crime drama that's unfolding in the midst of it that it is constantly fucked up like there'll be little things where he just kind of pans the camera one way and you're like oh that's an extremely beautiful vista with this great you know garden and all these things and later you find out when you see it again you're like oh oh is that what was happening right out of frame that i didn't know that now you want to tell me i just i basically was there when someone got murked thank you marty and all these things collide in your head and they happen but you can follow all of them there's peaceful pacing i personally think this isn't leonardo dicaprio's best role but i think it might be the one that he has sank enough in giving care to since like really early on, like definitely pre that, that boat movie, pre Titanic. Like, I don't think I've seen him not care what he looked like in a movie more than he didn't care in more this than one. The Revenant? And say what? Wasn't it the Revenant or whatever that movie is where he had to fight the bear and got, got fucked up by the bear? Okay, maybe that's the one-off. But I didn't really feel like I believed him in that movie. I just I was in, compelled by the I Revenant believe, by everybody I, I, in the I movie. But he got copy. fucked up by that bear. I mean, that was just kind of funny. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna I mean, lie. Listen, I mean, it's even more funny when you think about it. It's like, hmm, see, you're probably messing with them bear cubs that were under 25, mm-hmm. and see, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a whole bunch of <laughs> jokes. To jokes messing with a baby, and mama whoops your ass. <laughs> Like, this is a serious movie, but it's not so serious that it lacks movement. It's a violent movie, but it's not gratuitous. It's an informative movie, but it never fails to entertain. I feel like a lot of the things that people took issue with and the Irishman, the places where it dragged, I don't think, I think he's learned to make a better use of slowing the pace down and a great use of silence. I think that he's kind of fallen back in to the things that he did well in movies like Goodfellas, where, you know, the score can carry you through your transition without you trying to yada yada it some other way. But everything in this movie is purposeful. And a lot of people are calling this an epic revisionist Western. And I think we need to just call this a Western. I think this movie is revisionist only in the sense that it's reinserted honesty and a brutality with which it addresses the narrative of white supremacy in ways that don't, I don't know. I, I, I will say it until I die. I don't think he did it on purpose, but this was an incisive and insightful pinpoint in history at the intersection 
of white supremacy and the justification of murder in the name of manifest destiny in a way that I haven't ever seen on film. And if you fall out of this movie for pacing, it's because you stop paying attention. Um, if if you if you miss like this movie isn't a movie where it's like, are we the baddies? You know coming out the gate who the bad guys are. And then it lays out to you exactly why and how they're the bad guys. You know coming in within the first 10 minutes, first 10 minutes is a montage of murders. You were under no illusions about what you were watching. But the way that he pulls you in, I did not feel this three and a half hours runtime. And that's over my max for sitting still without needing to use the bathroom if I've had a drink. I didn't feel it in the way that I was, it felt unjustified. I didn't feel it in the way that I was itchy to like get my phone or stop paying attention. It, it, it mattered in all of it. And I think that they didn't try to turn it into like a, they made even the courtroom parts of the movie make sense. It shows you kind of the insidious way that the government doesn't care until somebody pointed out to them with money that they should. Uh, it, it shows the ways of corruption that are rooted in our criminal justice system. I really felt some type of way when it got to that part of the movie. So I think for that part, there'll be parts of this movie that are going to definitely hit different if you are non-white. But I think I walked away from this movie thinking it, that it was, a, it was brilliantly done. Um, it, it was thoughtfully made. It was respectfully handled. And as much as I wanted more of Liddy, Lily Gladstone's perspective, I've never been more happy that a director recognized the limits of his range and what lane he should be in. There's no way under the face of the earth that anyone who's not Osage should ever make this movie from the perspective of an Osage mem uh, member of an Osage tribe, ever. But Martin Scorsese paid such respectful care to where he was stepping into that he gave Lily Gladstone and all of the ensemble that was behind her that was for the part of the story to unfold what life in this town was, where the intersections were uh, even loss of culture and change of culture and how, and how infiltration into this community by white people sometimes blinded them to who their enemy was. All of that here, none of it's hidden. And, and, and if you walk away from this movie without questions, without a deeper understanding of what people mean when they say systemic, embedded, uh, uh, and deriving out of white supremacy, it's because you don't want to. Because it's there, and it's affirmatively in the, the movie. It is the movie, and it's just so smartly done that, you know, I, like, I hate, I hate, I hate Leonardo DiCaprio's character for the whole movie. And it's been a long time since I had a movie where the lead perspective through which the story is driven is, has been this much of a piece of shit and got me out here trying to figure out, am I supposed to feel for you? And then I eventually, eventually realized that, that that was the smartest choice if you were going to make this movie as a non-Indigenous person. His was the smartest perspective to make it through because it's constantly driving the question of when do you start paying attention that what you're doing is evil? The the people you're in league with are wrong. That how you've been raised to think 
that this thing, these other people who you're slowly starting to care about, why did it take you getting a personal attachment to a person who you suddenly realize at the end of the day that maybe you don't want to fucking hurt before all this other terrible shit that you've been justifying in the name of white men deserve? Why did it take you so long to figure out that you were A, on the wrong side, B, everything you're doing is just fucked up? And this is that was brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. It was smart. And I don't know if he did it on purpose, but yeah, there's a clip going around that I saw after I saw this movie that I wholeheartedly agree with that if you walk away from this movie and you're not wondering when is it enough to stop justifying and doing and acting on behalf of white supremacy, when is it not time for you to realize what your role and your part is and that it's everywhere and it doesn't stop until you stop rolling that ball? that it has to be physically and relentlessly, you know, combated, that that's the thing that you walk away from this movie for all its imperfections, for for all the fact that you could see where he stopped going because he didn't have the range to go past that point. And there was so much more compelling that you wish he would have done. Every single time it came up to a point where I was like, yeah, he didn't know how to go past this point without it being a caricature so he just gave you the representation knowing you know what it means as a black person watching the movie i wish i wish they had dug more in because i feel like those are the obvious things that if we're gonna get people to understand that this isn't just an isolated case of some greed and it's not about the oil it was about the fact that they they thought they deserved and they didn't care who they had to to obliterate to get it. I wish that they could figure out a way to dig further and talk about those things. But the visuals that he gave you of it, the moments and the conversation, the dialogue were so perfect that at the end, I have to admit that this little crazy 80-year-old man is onto something when it comes to the narrative shifts about how we talk about these types of American narratives, because it's not a white narrative, it's not a black narrative, it's not an indigenous narrative. He made a movie about the evil people do in the name of white supremacy. He made a movie about the corrupting influences of believing that you are entitled because of your destiny and whatever that is. And 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 he did it in an immensely entertaining way. So yeah, I was I was shocked. I'm I'm giving this one a solid solid eight and a half out of ten it would have gotten more but occasionally leo got on my fucking nurse but his character was so dumb and i feel like sometimes he was trying to make his character not so dumb but when your scene partner is robert de niro and robert de niro is manipulating the shit out of you for the sole purpose of his own ends but you're too dumb to see it it's kind of hard to make your character not look as dumb as they are when that's the guy you got to act against. But I, 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 I thought... Because you, you asked me if I uh, like Leo. Now, Robert De Niro yeah. is one of the people that everybody likes Robert De Niro. De Niro but you know what he reminds me of? Is just, and this is going to sound bad, but like Robert De Niro, to me, is white Denzel. And what I mean by that is they don't really be <laughs> like changing their acting style. They act the same in every fucking movie, but somehow that's exactly what the movie needed. And you're yes. just like... It's like they're not trying if that's just robert de niro that's but, but you know what then the you realize that they are trying that right. they are and, at work and and that yeah. is, and the movie just needed robert de niro the same thing when you watch denzel you're like hmm denzel's just being denzel but you know what this movie needed denzel hmm yeah that's some acting right there like that is you, that is the thing i like about both of them because like 
I, I know, I haven't even seen this film, but I know at least two times De Niro probably did that thing where he gives that look where he's like kind of talking under his breath, but staring you in the face, basically telling you like, Oh no, you get a full to... calm down moment. Right, right. <laughs> You like, like he does it's, it's like that's why and that's why I say he's white Denzel because it's like the same thing with Denzel. They got that one thing they do every fucking movie, and you're just like, he did the thing, but the movie needed yeah, him to uh, do the thing, yeah. and it just you want you know right you want to know the other guy who showed up who just needed to be who he is on screen because what he you need in your movie is him on screen Jesse fucking Plemons. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, come on, come on, come on. I mean, <laughs> let me guess, played a villain. No. Oh wow, that's 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 no. a new one. That's a new one. <laughs> and yet it's not, because he still was Jesse fucking Plymouth, and it was exactly what the movie needed. Yeah. Like, just, he just... plays one of the investigators yeah. who sent uh, out. Okay. So you don't see him until late in the movie. But that edge he has about how he plays mm-hmm. bad guys was perfect for trying to give an idea of what the inception of the Federal Bureau of an Investigator looked like. I mean, it's just... Like, who I would mean, be that again, guy it, who would be the investigator? It's that thing that we... It's to that point, you never want to say somebody like Robert De Niro is underrated, but it's just like the, uh, you, you know, when you see them, it's, it's Robert De Niro, it's Al Pacino, it's um, Denzel. It's just, you see them in a film and it's just like, hmm, the film needed that. Like, I don't care what the film is, just, you needed that. And it's just like, it, the older they get, the crankier they get in the film too. And yeah. you're just like, that's exactly... You know what this film needed? It needed a cranky old white guy. Mm, not that cranky old white guy, but this... You know another one, too? Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Yes. Willem Dafoe. You're just like, hmm, do I... You're sitting there going around, okay, I need a, I need a, cranky, I need a cranky old guy. Okay, does it need to be black? Yes. Uh, get Denzel. All right. Um, white? Okay, uh, get you... Uh, does it need to be crazy? Yes. Um, okay, either Al Pacino crazy, or do you need Willem Dafoe crazy? Mm, Willem Dafoe's too crazy for this one. All right, so Al Pacino it is. Actually, I don't want him to be crazy. I just want to, okay, uh, give me Robert De Niro then. That's perfect. That's exactly what I need. It's just, that's just yeah. it. That's, that's the well, thing. Well, also, also, it's that thing where if you need a Svengali, mm-hmm. like, you need a certain kind of, you know, patri- patriarchal Svengali-esque figure, right? Denz- uh, Denzel's not necessarily on that list, but De Niro is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. When people see who he is in this movie, and you'll understand really quickly why I say it was smart that they shifted the story away from him being the lead character because it would have kind of you would have had to have a different kind of thing, and it really truly would have had to be like a crime crime drama kind of type movie. You couldn't have done it like a murder conspiracy on this kind of scale if your Sengali is your perspective. And Robert De Niro is truly playing the insidious Bengali in this movie. And like all his little puppets and marionettes are moving around. And that's where you get your gritty and your grime. And I swear before God, uh, the, the, I, don't, I don't care what anyone says, the slight lack of respect that Scorsese and half for De Niro was absolutely 100% apparent in the way that they um, had him play his character, Ernest. It's like all those things like the pieces where like like you could just they, they look at him and he's still a fucking kid to them right mm-hmm. it, it, it was all it was all apparent what what'd you say i didn't say anything oh yeah no like just that slight age difference between them like that 30 years to their 80 to his 50 they yeah they used it against him man they used it against him but it was brilliantly done but i'm not kidding when i say like jesse Plemons is not in this movie very long 
but when he comes, there's a shift in energy. And there's a bit of foreshadowing to that moment that's really deeply, like, kind of horrible to watch that the scene between Lily Gladstone and uh, Leo's character that um, you almost immediately know right then and there that you are at the part where, you know, shit's about to come to a head. Um, people are, you know, moves are going to start being a little bit louder, but Jesse's energy is still that quiet, contained, I might just kill you in the morning thing that he does. Mm -hmm. That is really growing on me. Like, I know you didn't necessarily fully like uh, Power of the Dog. It was too slow for you and all those types of things. But did you just like Jesse Plymouth? Yeah, I didn't think it had anything wrong with it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the Acting in that film, it was just the film was too damn slow, and the title of the film was dumb. Yeah, so so take what you know about what he did with that kind of really pent up internal energy, and take away the bitter edge of him not being the brother, and shove in I have power behind me, and that's the Jesse that you get in this one. It's very compelling, and I wouldn't be surprised if people are trying to throw his name out there. Uh, for a supporting role, even though he's not in this one, because he's got away with a monologue. He's got away with short dialogue. Um, and again, he represents the shift in energy that's happening. But the biggest cameo surprise for me in this movie was uh, Brandon Fraser. He's not in it for more than two scenes. And I'm loving the fact that he's just coming out to play with his friends. He was over the top. He was bombastic. Um, he's repre- He's playing a a lawyer and it just kind of works and it kind of just keeps giving you the ebbs and flows that you need of this energy but yeah no man every time every time i thought this movie was done with what it needed to do um you started to truly understand that i don't think anybody does this kind of slightly off kilter suspense crime drama that better than scorsese and i say that wanting him to stop talking about anything other than that's outside his lane but i now understand a significant number of the comments that he's been probably poorly quoted making on his press tours for killer of the flowers moon because where he had to kind of immerse himself for killers is not where you sit for these other types of narratives. This is also probably the first time that he's had to really wrestle with allegorical versus overt narrative storytelling. Like we were talking about, if you guys listen to our American fiction, um, it's not an allegory, it's a direct satire, it's in your face. Uh, And again, that whole thing here is he wasn't trying to build an allegory he wanted to drive the story in a way to where it seems were all overtly addressed but he wanted to stay within what he knows he could do with skill and with a deft hand but when you're taking a story that's rooted in fact but you have to use revisionist tactics in order to be honest because America lies about the history of the West and its history in general, I can understand why that could make you have a bit of a more, you know, hard and fast lines between what you draw, between what's supposed to be engaging and has weight and what's supposed to be light and fluffy entertainment. It's also why you can miss things that are, you know, allegories for the world outside your window when that's not the world. A, you've been looking at because you're out in the Oklahoma desert making this freaking movie, and B, it's not a world you move in anymore. But I, I, I get it now. I do still wish he would shut up sometimes because sometimes he'd be talking outside his expertise. 
but Killers of the Flower Moon is, I'm, I, I have to say, it's one of the best things he's made in years, years. I don't, I don't even know what to compare it to, Chris. Well, well, you said pretty good. Uh, if you can sit there for the three and a half hours, check it out. Um, <laughs> damn. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's no, in movie it's theaters now. It released October twentieth. Right. Um, I mean, I'll probably just watch it when it comes on or when they send it to us. Because, you know, they're going to send it to us, so I'm just going to watch yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think for you, if in order for you to get the most out I want, of this I want narrative, to see it. I think I'm just not going to go to you the need theater. the ability. Yeah. You need to have a pause button, was what I was going to say. Well, I'm not going to pause it. When I watch it at home, I'll probably watch it straight through. I just would rather be comfortable when I do it. So if I'm going to sit there for three and a half hours, I want to I want to be comfortable on my couch versus in a, in a movie theater. Oh, so. word. No, I was in a fancy seat. That's why I didn't care. I'm not. Even, I'm, no, no. Even a, <laughs> I'm sorry. Even the fancy seats are not fancy enough for me. I want to lay down on the couch no. and watch it. So. Uh, fair anyway. enough. No, I mean, I was reclined. It's fine. Yeah. But, um, I, yeah, no, I think I think if you're if you're not someone who likes to go to the movies for really long movies and you think two hours in a movie theater is too long, when this hits Apple TV+, Plus, because I believe that's where it's coming, because I believe that's where a big, huge chunk of its money came from, it's going to probably hit Apple TV+, Plus at the beginning of the year. Um, but... If runtimes on movies don't bother you, Killers of the Flower Moon is worth every second of its runtime. And I haven't said that about a movie all damn year. And I did not think I'd be saying it about the longest movie I've seen in a damn movie theater in entirely too long. But Lily Gladstone is worth the runtime. Robert De Niro is worth the runtime. The story is worth the runtime. Hell, the cinema fucking-tography is worth the runtime. The sets. The score. The narrative is imperfect, but it's about as perfect a narrative of Western that I've seen in the last like twenty years. Definitely worth it then. I- so. Um all right. Well, like you said, uh check it out. Uh it's got you got two choices. You can check it out in the theaters or you can wait until it comes to the Apple. Like I said, I think I'm pretty sure it's coming to Apple as well. So, um yeah. And uh, we got plenty of other uh, re- movies to, to review and talk about soon. We're coming up on that time where they start also just starting us a bunch of movies too. So we'll be having plenty to talk about. So make sure you guys subscribe. Movie trailer reviews on iTunes and on Spotify. No Stitcher because they're gone. Um, or you just go to mtrnumber.net. So again, folks, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, we're out of here. Peace.